Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the 90 Min Podcast. Apology for last week's episode coming out so late. We're having some technical issues again, but hopefully you'll be hearing this week right on schedule. I'm Chris Dealey and I'm joined as ever by 90 Min senior correspondents Jamie Spencer. Hello. Scott Saunders. Hello. And back from his adventures last week, Aidan Cusick. Hello. Before we start, quick shout out to our friends at p302.co.uk who have kindly offered up some goodies for you lot. Go to the 90min Twitter account at 90min underscore football for your chance to enter and win. Now talking about an unexpected chance of winning things, Leicester City. They're impossible to ignore and apparently impossible to stop. Uh, Scott, you were our man covering the win over Manchester City on Saturday afternoon. Just how impressive were they? Leicester were fantastic on Saturday. I've seen them a few times this season, but that, that was their best performance, hands down. They were faultless. I didn't see anything particularly weak about them at all. Their spirit is massive. And for all Man, man City's failings and their shortcomings... Leicester just blew them out of the water. They really did. I mean, City didn't really uh, show anything in attack, but I think that's because of Leicester's uh, two strong banks of four of defensive midfield. And uh, one, one pattern I noticed throughout the game was that Leicester just soaked up the pressure all the way through and then pretty much just played it long through for Vardy to chase. And it was so effective. I mean, City haven't got the quickest defenders and quickest midfielders behind their front line anyway. But Vardy just, he may not have scored and he may have missed a couple of chances, but he was he was a pain in the backside all day. And Leicester's attacking uh, three or four. I mean, they just tore City to shreds. Mares was brilliant again. Uh, as, as I mentioned, Vardy was fantastic. And I mean, they're midfielders. They just break so quickly with pace. And they're all so, they're working for each other. And it's it's a pleasure to see. And I do hope that they do it. Yeah, I must admit, I didn't watch all of the game on Saturday. I came... I think I came to it after the first goal had been scored. Obviously, that was very early. I saw you uh, you, pop, you popped up shouting and raving about it, and I was like, "Oh, you know, it's time to turn this on." Because I'll be honest, I was a little, I was a little nervous going into the match. I tweeted before I said to you guys off air and off kind of public channels that I thought this was the weekend that City beat Leicester, went top, and never looked back, and now they're fourth. <laughs> You got it half of it right. I mean, it could be the weekend that Leicester won it and never looked back. You know, that's definitely what I meant. It's it's absolutely that. But yeah, Leicester were just they just eviscerated City. It was astonishing. It's something we kind of saw a similar result from Spurs against City earlier in the season. But that was after 45 minutes of looking shaky. That was a comeback. Leicester started strong, continued strong, and finished strong. There was no, as you say, there there was no weak point in that team they just pummeled City into the dirt they're officially Bucky's favourites now we'll come on to whether or not they can actually win the title their general prospect later after we've after we've gushed a bit about Saturday's game but I think for me one of the more impressive things uh, it's something we mentioned when we talked about the title race in general a few weeks ago is the way that they aren't just getting goals from Jamie Vardy anymore you know I mean that it's too two of their goals from set pieces that's not how they kicked off this run but when you've got extra strings to your bow like that that you're just adding and adding all the time it just makes you absolute nightmare to face Aiden, Jamie did either of you catch any of the match did you catch some highlights or something um no I was at badminton so I'll leave this to Jamie yeah I I came in a little bit late like you I turned on uh, when it was one nil for the second goal Mares. He's getting all the credit because he deserves it because it was his skill that took him past the defenders and, and fired past Joe Hart. 
I think, again, and it comes back to the whole unsung hero thing, and he has been widely more sung more recently, but that goal doesn't happen without Kante doing what he did in the little, in the little bit of build-up, because he got the ball, and he beat one player, and then he passed it on. So if he doesn't beat that player, or if he slows it down, or does something different, that goal doesn't happen. And I think he is one of the few players, and this is something that I've written some words down about this week. There's not many players in that Leicester squad that would actually improve anybody else in the league because of the way that it sort of happened. But Kante is probably that one guy, and Mahrez being perhaps the other one, that would actually be a noticeable difference in the squad of, say, an Arsenal or a Chelsea or a United or a City. So... He deserves a lot of credit for that goal, making that goal happen. And the bad with regard to that goal was the uh, appalling defending. As good a goal it was, it was certainly avoidable in terms of City's perspective. You know, you've got Otamendi, who for some reason they decided it was a good idea to pay £30 million for in the summer, goes flying into a tackle, actually gets there first and somehow doesn't wipe everything out, misses the ball, it sort of flicks up, allows Mares to get beyond him. And then as good as that little bit of skill was that you had from Mares on the on the step over, Demichelis has left the stadium at that point, going to find the ball that's not moved. He should really be doing more more to stop that. And then maybe the goalkeeper as well, but he passed yeah. it in with the eyes, which is more, more, more understandable. But the two defenders in front of him should never have allowed that to happen and, and that was a constant feature of the game from what I saw yeah well I mean on uh, the keeper for that goal Joe Hart gets beaten at his near post far more often than a keeper at his level should he gets away with it quite a bit kind of criticism wise because his shot stopping is generally pretty good and because England's number one keeper usually gets a pretty easy ride in the league no matter who they are but you know I, I do agree that he should have done a lot better there for Mares and and Otamendi in particular there's one picture that's going to stick in my mind possibly forever. Uh, Riyad Mahrez posted it on his Twitter account this morning and it's just captioned keeping the dream alive and it's just him in midair controlling the ball until you scroll down to the bottom of the picture and it's just Otamendi flat on his back underneath him trying to tackle him. <laughs> I've seen it. It literally looks like Otamendi sunbathing. <laughs> it does. It's spectacular. Mahrez looks like some kind of tourist who's just got to the hotel, thrown all his stuff down immediately and has just leapt over Otamendi to, to dive straight into the pool. <laughs> I mean, I already thought he should be uh, player of the year this year, but that's sealed it. If you're a £30 million defender, though, you should be wiping that whole thing out. <laughs> Not a question. I did yeah. see a stat about that, actually. Uh, Otamendi costs... 30 million, give or take, and uh, I can't remember who it was, I can't credit them, but uh, somebody tweeted that he cost £6 million more than Leicester's entire starting eleven on that day, and he played terribly. It's mad, isn't it? I mean, it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a Manchester City problem because it's not the first time they've bought a defender who's done very well in a reasonable team overseas, paid a heck of a lot of money for them, Mangala's the same, uh, and they come to City and flounder in the Premier League. I don't, I don't know what it is that possesses them to keep trying the buy a foreign defender who's never played in the Premier League for a lot of money. But I think that's certainly something Pep Guardiola's going to have to look at. Maybe that's why, uh, maybe that's where the Seamus Coleman links have come from this week. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's a problem for City, but credit to Leicester for exploiting it as well as they did, and, uh, and Mara's in particular. Now, obviously, as we've alluded to uh, there and before, City struggling a little after that match um, instead of taking control of the league they've slipped away Leicester are now five points ahead of any other team Spurs and Arsenal in that range and then City just behind is this now the point where instead of saying 
Leicester are title contenders, we have to flip the switch and say Leicester are title favourites. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. yeah, probably. Good, we can end the podcast right there. Thank you all. <laughs> uh, I've been Chris. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously though, um, unless something dramatic happens, then of course they are because they don't lose games. You know, that's that's like the big the big thing. They've lost fewer games than anybody else this season. Their defences was what was their big weakness at the start of the season, and that's now one of their biggest strengths. You know, that's how it's it's panned out. So the fact that they are the joint top scorers, they have one of the best defences now. There's no reason to say, oh, the wheels are going to fall off, because every time that's been a possibility, it hasn't happened. So there's no evidence to say any different anymore. They have to be the favourites, and they are the ones to beat. Yeah, I've, I've taken a look at their... Uh they're running today obviously they play Arsenal at the Emirates on Sunday which is an absolutely enormous game for both sides certainly given how Arsenal have played in bigger games lately but after that the uh, the fixture list goes home to Norwich home to West Brom away to Watford who over the last uh, eight or nine games have been one of the worst teams in the league home to Newcastle massive relegation candidates away to Crystal Palace who haven't one since before Christmas. Their wheels generally, genuinely have fallen off. <laughs> they really have. They've they've not won in eight games. They've lost five of those and they've scored in like two or three. And then it's not until the start of April when they're at home to Southampton where they have to play a side who are anything like in form after that Arsenal game. And even then, it's away to Sunderland after that, home to West Ham and Swansea. And then you're into the last three games, which is away to United, home to Everton, and then Claudio Ranieri can win the Premier League title at Stamford Bridge. On my birthday. (laughs) Which I think surely will be in his mind. I think he'll (laughs) he'll want to wrap up a a winner's medal for you, I think. This one's for you, Jamie. Without wishing to be the downer here, there are obstacles. I mean, Leicester are favourites at this point, I I think we'll all agree... Well, we have all agreed that, but they've not been there before, as the cliche goes. Rather than just kind of uncritically saying, yeah, well, the running's good. I think it is worth looking at a couple of things that could trip them up, because it's it's one of those seasons. Well, can I interject there? As, as, as a point to that, you say they've never been there and done it before. But if you look at the other teams in the mix, Tottenham haven't been there and done it before. Arsenal haven't been there and done it before. The only other team that you've got that has done it before is City, so nobody's really been there and done it. I'd argue that Arsenal have been there before. They well, might not have won before, but they know they at least know what the pressure of a title race is like. I don't think they do, because every time they end up in pressurised situations, they sort of wilt and melt and disappear and crumble. So, you know, I can't remember the last time Arsenal were genuinely in with a shout of winning the, of the league. It must have been several years ago. I think they were around, around and about until the latter stages in 2008. But that's a good long while ago and they don't have any of the players left over from that team. So I don't think Arsenal do know how to win a league title. Well, Petr Cech does. Yeah, but that's one player as a goal. <laughs> And you could say that about other players like Sanchez as well, because they've won titles elsewhere, but it's different when you come into it. I thought you were going to say you could apply that to to Leicester with Mark Schwarzer, who could now <laughs> win two he could win two Premier League titles in a row without making a single appearance. Uh, hey, well, Jamie Vardy knows what it's like to win a title, didn't he win the conference? Yeah, this is this is going to sound entirely predictable coming from me, but a lot of Leicester's players do know how to win a league title just not the Premier League and it's something they've they've done together as recently as two years ago when they were promoted from the Championship. Five of Saturday's starting lineup were were part of that team and four of those, Schmeichel, Morgan, 
Drinkwater and Vardy are the core anyway. So it's only kind of minor changes each of the two summers since they've been promoted that have been made to that team and minor improvements. But the core is still pretty much the same and, and they've got that know-how of, of what it was like that season. I know it's a completely different division and a, a huge step up in here now, not just this season. They still know how to win football matches and crucially not, how not to lose them. So... I think recent experiences like that could could definitely help them. They've they've also they were the favourites when they went up in the championship, so they know what it's like playing with pressure. So yeah, I I think it could trip them up. I know I know what you're saying, but, but I think they've still got that in their armoury to to kind of overcome that. And if we've knocked that one on the head slightly, how about the criticisms that came up certainly around the around the new year that when they play the smaller teams, sometimes they're not necessarily firing on all cylinders when they play the smaller teams. You know, they've dropped points since the turn of the year home to 10-man Bournemouth side away to Aston Villa could it be that their easy running is actually something that trips them up slightly or is that drawing too much of a conclusion from a couple of one-off games yeah I think it is I mean yes they did drop points to Bournemouth and Villa who are struggling but looking back through their results they the only time the other times they have dropped points is away at Stoke and Southampton. And I mean, if a genuine title contender like City or Arsenal had dropped points uh, in one of those games, nobody would have really batted an eyelid. That they're tough games. And the only other time they dropped points was away at Bournemouth as well. I mean, they drew at home to Tottenham, but again, that's a, that's a big game. Uh, so it's it's really hard to know how they'll do. But looking back through how they've done this season, I, I don't think they'll look at the smaller clubs in any different way to how they approach every other game they don't strike me as that type of team it it sounds like a massive cliche but the only thing they can really do now is just to take every game as it comes and that's all they've been saying all season and I think it will actually continue that way Uh, we've mentioned this on previous pods as well about how they don't have any European competition to distract them in midweek they've got seven or eight days between each each Premier League game for most weeks now so they're going to be fresh they don't need to necessarily push themselves too hard in training injury wise they don't have they've been quite lucky with injuries this season but <clears throat> I know the season will be harder uh, going into the last few weeks they seem to be conditioned well enough they don't seem to be losing key players and touch wood they won't but all signs point to them actually being genuine favourites they comprehensively beat City and it just wouldn't come as a shock now if they did go to Arsenal and put it in the same performance. To pick up on the, the point you make about them staying fresh and taking a glance at their fixture list now, aside from if other teams' fixtures get rearranged because of cup games, there is no point past the start of next month that they don't have a full week between games. They've got at least seven days between matches from mid-March until the end of May. Just a couple of points on, on that. It's the same kind of situation as um, going back a few years when South Korea finished fourth at the World Cup when, um, when Gus Hiddink was manager. When he arrived in the job, the first thing was, one of the first things he did was push the fitness levels through the roof and that was what ultimately got them through those extra time periods that they had against, was it Spain, Italy, in that World Cup. And, and Leicester seemed a lot fitter than everybody else. The other point that I was going to make was um, following on from what Scott said a couple of minutes ago about having a clear run. And the the situation now is is, uh, aligning itself with the situation that presented uh, to Liverpool two years ago when they had nothing else to go at and they were just purely focused and driven on the Premier League title. So as long as Vardy doesn't slip in the game against Man United and uh, they don't go 3-0 up against Everton and then concede three in the second half, they probably should win it. They could even have it wrapped up by then. (laughs) 
I think Scott's possibly got a point about them having it wrapped up by then. I mean, they've already got a five-point lead. They've got possibly the easiest run-in, apart from a tricky last few games. God, this is terrifying. The more I've thought about it and the more we've discussed it, the more and more it looks like they really, really could do it. And it, God, it feels wrong on just so many levels. You can just take it on the flip side, though. I mean, if, if they lose at Arsenal this weekend, it's two points again. And it could it could disappear within a week. You never know. If, if they lose, say, unfortunately or something, or have a decision go against them or something knocks their confidence, you know, it, it could it could turn pretty quickly as well. But I'd... I'd make them favourites, as we've said. Do we want a, a quick a time for a quick little teaser? Does anybody know the last time that Leicester came this close to winning the league? They've never won it before, so does anybody know the closest that they've been? 1947. Yeah, no, that's wrong. <laughs> 72. No, that's wrong as well. I was going to say 73, just as a complete guess, so I'm going to assume that's also wrong. Yeah, that's wrong. They finished second once in 1929. Ah, Wednesday were the winners that year. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Technically, I win because I'm closest. That is, that is <laughs> true as well. Wednesday did win the league that season. Are we saying that Leicester are due then? They, they are due one, yes. <laughs> does, uh, does anybody know the last time that a new club won the top division in English football? Somebody who never won it before. Was it Forest? Good call. Who in the fun now? Yes. Uh, we haven't got the year though. Oh, okay, uh, guess the year then. What year 79. was it? 79. Ooh, no, not quite. 78. It's going to go 80. 78. That's the only time Nottingham Forest ever won the league, actually. They won the European Cup more often than they won their own yeah, league. Yeah, good point. Yeah, so that was the last time somebody new won the English league. So we're due one of those as well. So on two counts, Leicester are due a win. <laughs> oh, well, in that case, it's basically fate. You might as well just stick all the money on it now. <laughs> fun good fact, Jesus. Fun fact, before Forest, the last team to win the league for the first time was also managed by Brian Clough. And that was Derby County in 1972. So we're saying that Claudio Ranieri is basically Brian Clough? He's the Italian... <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> I'm going to write 800 words on that comparison. <laughs> um... Another thing you could actually write 800 words on. Did you see how uh, Wes Morgan dribbled through Man City's midfield way through this i think it was the second half mid through midway through the first half sorry that was incredible i think that sums up a lot of the game in one moment really just the the unexpected from leicester that they've been showing all season i mean wes morgan's pretty much the fastest player in the league from the stats that have come out and then city just just not being as good as they should be they've got some damn damn good midfielders in there or some midfielders who have been very very good in the past but they just look shot. Yaya Toure, I, I said this at the end of last season, I think a lot of people said this at the end of last season, about Yaya Toure, and then obviously he came back at the start of this season, looked really good, and then he's just completely fallen off again. He doesn't look like, he looks like a shadow of himself, and I think a lot of this City team do. If there was ever a player more suited to this Chinese revolution, it was <laughs> yeah. Yaya Toure. He Couldn't agree more with that. Absolutely destined to be in China by the summer. Well, to be honest, I think... When Pep comes in, if City don't win the league this year and he decides that what's needed is a bit of a clear out of the older guard, I think Yaya's the first out of the door. Pep likes his mobile midfields, doesn't he? And uh, there's nothing mobile about Yaya Torre at the minute. And it's not going to get better, is it? So... No, he's, he's pl- trying to play a style of game that he's not had the legs for for about two years. Yeah, he, uh, he put in one of those displays, the Yaya Torre can't be arsed display Saturday. It really let, he really let his team down on, the, down on the day and he was sub- substituted pretty early on in the second half. It took me by surprise because I think they were bringing on 
a defensive midfielder. I think it was Fernando to come on. And he replaced Torre when I was expecting perhaps one of the attackers to go off so Torre could go further forward. But he really didn't warrant his place on the pitch. And ironically, he wasn't even their worst player. I think Alexander Kolarov was absolutely dire. His deliveries on done from the left side on a number of occasions were absolutely poor. Sorry, Kolarov's been absolutely toilet at the back for a lot of this season he he's basically the the left back version of Yaya Toure he'll fly forwards or amble forwards in Yaya's case at the moment and then just kind of look at the defensive duties that need to and be like yeah but somebody else could probably I could just stay and I could just stay and try and get goals because that's more fun is that not part of the problem with with City's defense though the fact that they have got Yaya Toure who who doesn't seem to be asked to, to do anything that happens behind him and he, he just leaves the defence very exposed and that'll be the first thing that Pep sorts out and it wouldn't surprise me if they if they really tightened up defensively because of it. It's easy to, to pin the blame on, on two really, well, three really poor central defenders but I think part of the problem is is what's in front of them. Yeah, they, they looked a lot better at the start of the season, A, when they had company marshalling them and B, when Toro was actually doing... You know, at the start of the season, they they started with what, six six wins in a row, basically six clean sheets or something. I'm stretching slightly, but I think that was pretty much it. And that was when the midfield was actually working properly, going forward and coming back. Now there's just no support for them. They need Ledley King, is what they need. <laughs> if that team had Ledley King sat in front of the back four instead of Yaya Toure, Premier League winning team, Champions League winning team. I'm exaggerating slightly, but not much because that's it's the role they need filling. Is there anybody that you would anticipate filling that role in the summer then? There that's are. hard to call because Pep is going to come in and change everything, I think. He'll play players out of position, switch the formation around. Uh, you just don't really know what he's going to do. I don't think it's going to be that. Well, it's, I don't think their tactical layout is going to be as simple as it has been under Pellegrini for the next few years. There's a couple of players who are going to be looking very cautiously over their shoulders, and I think uh, David Silva is going to be one of them after the last... Well, since he's come back from injury, really. Getting on a bit as well. Yeah, he is getting on. I think that's that's an issue with City is that most of their stars are either ageing or very, very injury prone. And then whoever they've brought in to, to replace them to fill the gaps hasn't quite come on in the way that they'd hoped. You said there actually a couple of the players would be looking over their shoulder. I'm just looking at the squad list here now. And I would say there's a lot of players in that squad that will be considered deadweight by a new manager. Just a, a quick run-off. You've got Bakary Sanya, Fernando, Sami Nasri, Kolarov, Willy Caballero, Boni, Jesus Navas. You could put Zabaleta in there as well. I think he declined oh, a lot. Of- as well, yeah. I was going to say, I would agree with most of those. I think Sanya's been their best right-back this season. And there aren't there aren't that many strong right-backs out there. Obviously, it was a nonsense when Sky asked a couple of their pundits last week, who do you think City are going to buy over the summer? And they both went for Seamus Coleman at right-back because they had, I would say, the combined brain power of a post-it note. But I think, as ridiculous as that pick was, I think it speaks to the lack of quality right-backs out there available to be bought at the moment. Going back on that, I think both of them had Andres Iniesta in their teams. Yeah, they did! Yeah, that was the other thing! <laughs> they definitely looked over each other's shoulders, didn't they? <laughs> They've talked about this and they'd be like, well... Wait, which which players are good? We know about Neymar and, and Messi and Suarez. I think Iniesta was just the only name they could bring up between them. Maybe I'm not giving them enough credit. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit. Yeah, the latter. <laughs> but anyway, City aside, that's a uh, that's probably a conversation for us to have closer to the end of the season, possibly at the end of the season, when we can see what they've got, take stock and uh, look forward to a, 
summer of massive transfer rumour nonsense, as we always do. But the two teams separating City from Leicester at the moment are Spurs and Arsenal. A little North London cabal uh, in second and third place. Spurs actually uh, top of the league with the best defence and the best goal difference because this season is just absurd. Now, we've we've talked about Spurs for the title before. They're another team who are incredibly hard to beat. They've only lost three games all season, including a pretty unfortunate loss on the opening day to United. Which of the two teams do we see posing the biggest threat to Leicester as the uh, as the season draws on? I'd say that Tottenham are the, are the bigger threat at this moment in time. They're a more complete team. Arsenal seem to have weaknesses. And whilst they might have better individual players in certain positions, I think Spurs... I've got a more complete team. They seem less prone to crumbling. I mean, you had Arsenal win um, against Bournemouth at the weekend, but before that, they'd done what Arsenal always do and, and had a bit of a, a patch that has threatened to wreck their season. You know, by the time that we get to the end of the month and into March and you've got Champions League games and FA Cup games coming around all at once, that's sort of the kind of time of year when Arsenal's season disappears down the toilet in one in one nice little package over the course of about a week when they get knocked out of both cup competitions and fall out the title race so I'd imagine there's a chance that might happen again and even though Spurs have got European commitments as well they seem like they'd be less interested in trying to progress in that competition so I don't I don't see it as affecting them as much so that I think as, as a whole they are a better proposition. On Arsenal when you talk about their weaknesses I watched them against Southampton the other day and it was just they should have won that game if it wasn't for Fraser Forster they would have won that game but they wouldn't have beaten a good team Southampton's midfield was dire Romeo in particular was just misplacing passes left right and centre but even then Arsenal lost the midfield battle they couldn't bring any kind of sustained pressure and I think what they have to do is get through the next couple of weeks without dropping too many points and the Leicester game is going to be a big big struggle in terms of that and then when they get their proper midfielders back when Matthew Flamini doesn't have to start Premier League games and pretend he's actually Premier League quality I can see them starting to push again because this is when the midfield's strong this is a very good Arsenal team but the injuries have just gutted them at the moment. I think it may have left their season pretty much dead in the water as far as competing on more than one level is concerned. And I worry for them that that's going to be the FA Cup rather than the league. Yeah, I'd agree with that, actually. I think um, I think Jamie got it pretty much bang on with what he said about, um, about Arsenal's mentality and being here before. And I think Spurs have kind of got that sort of... It's sort of like Leicester in a way where they've kind of got a bit of fearlessness. They don't really lose... They've only lost one more game than, than Leicester have in the league this season. If you if you look at them in terms of spirit, I think Spurs have definitely they look like they've got something good going on there. And I, th- I think with Arsenal, there's always that fear that the worst is about to happen. Whereas yeah, Spurs have kind of they're they're in the top four now. They're they're well in the top four. They're not going to finish outside it unless something really dramatic happens. So I think they can afford to. Um, can afford to sack off the Europa League because this is a more achievable way of, of them qualifying for the Champions League next year. They can afford to kind of go all out in this because they're not going to miss out. Um, so they can, like I say, they can sack off the Europa League and, and put all their eggs in this basket, whereas Arsenal have still got a few more distractions. Like you say, that they may have to settle for the FA Cup. I mean, it, it, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to win three FA Cups in a row. But Fun fact, does anybody want to guess the last time somebody <laughs> won three FA Cups in a row? Never. Never. No, it has happened. Not this century, not last century. Preston. (laughs) 
Blackburn Rovers in oh, close. They completed it 1884, 1885, and 1886 at the Kennington Oval. In that in that middle one, they actually played a Scottish team in the final. Oh, well, that doesn't count. <laughs> okay, that doesn't count. I haven't got any more relevant facts, but no, it, it counts as a fun fact. But that's cheating. Not playing a that's... Scottish team. Yeah. Well, they played a Scottish team in actually in the year before that as well. That's like setting up against a team of training dummies. That's not, that's not real football. Scotland were the best team in the world in the Victorian age, apparently. Apparently. <laughs> TARDIS or anything. Scott, anything on anything on Spurs and Arsenal from you? Nobody th- really thinks Arsenal are going to get past Barcelona, so we can look forward to them playing midweek games and things like that. They'll, they'll have two, let, let's be honest. They're going to have two. They're going to lose to Barcelona. Sorry, Arsenal fans, but I think everyone really knows what's going to happen there with the form they're in lately. Perhaps I'd make them one of the favourites for the FA Cup, but there's a lot of teams still in it. I, th- I do think Tottenham are best placed. Uh, they-, they have the right attitude, like Leicester. Uh, you can draw a lot of comparisons between the two teams, but perhaps Tottenham have the more established individual quality. Tottenham have a reliable number nine style forward in Harry Kane. Arsenal don't with, obviously, Olivier Giroud on and off form. They could really do with one. And I think if they did have that type of player, then they'd be higher up the table than they are and closer to Leicester than they are. Perhaps even top. That game against Southampton, they could have done with somebody who was there to score goals. We are tangenting now, which probably means that it's time to wrap this up for another week. We've had a bit of a tendency to ramble in the last couple of weeks. So. Yeah, so we'll keep it nice and uh, nice and tight, nice and compact, and uh, wrap up with a quick question to each of you. Are Leicester City going to win the Premier League title? Aiden? Yes. Scott? I'm sticking with my prediction from a few weeks ago and saying yes. And Jamie? I chose Tottenham when we had this little question a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going to change my answer and say I think Leicester can do it now, based on what we said here, based on the last couple of weeks. I didn't ask if Leicester can do it. I said, said, will Leicester do it? I'm not very good at putting things like straight down the line, you know. I lost five quid on the Carolina Panthers last night. Yeah, you had them to win by 25, you lunatic. (laughs) (laughs) I told you that was too optimistic. But yeah, okay, so you're tentatively saying Leicester? I'm tentatively saying Leicester. I changed my mind and I'll I'll say Leicester, yeah. Yeah, I was was going to go for a a similarly weaselly answer. I think the way this season's gone, it's pretty much impossible to say that anyone will win it. But I would agree on balance if you had to pick someone. You pick the team with the five-point lead who don't lose matches. This is this is scarily unanimous. Jinxed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's done it now. If they do just completely crash and burn, I'm deleting this podcast and uh, removing all evidence so we don't get lynched by a massive group of Leicester fans. But anyway, yes, um, to borrow a phrase... On that bombshell, <laughs> I've been Chris Dealey. It's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from Scott Saunders. Goodbye. Goodbye from Jamie Spencer. Goodbye. And goodbye from Aidan Cusick. Goodbye. Bye, everyone.